What's up, everybody? This is Dave Stovall with Discipleship.org, and you're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Hey, I made a mistake last week and accidentally scheduled an episode a little bit early, so you got a bonus episode, and here we are on this Monday morning with a brand new episode for you again. We have got Jason Shepard, and he's discussing his revolutionary approach to church projects. That's a movement that started back in 2010. He emphasizes the importance of distributing pastoral leadership, decentralizing church gatherings, and fostering diverse discipleship communities grounded in shared scripture. He also discusses the function of house churches, how they enrich the church community, and shares some practical tips for managing those crazy kids within a house church setting. Let's listen to this discussion between Matt Dabbs and Jason Shepard. Enjoy the episode, everybody. Well, welcome to the show. This is uh, Matt with Jason Shepard, and he is with The Church Project in uh, Woodland, Texas. They just had their 14th anniversary yesterday, and I'm really excited to talk to him about what they've been doing there for the last 14 years, just kind of reconceptualizing things, going back to the Bible and and reconceptualizing you know church paradigms and the way they're going about it. So I, I'm excited to hear what you're going to share, Jason, with us about what God's doing there in Texas. Uh, tell us a little bit about your paradigm and kind of how you got there. Hey, Matt, thanks for having me. Thank you, Bobby, as well, for the invitation. Thank you for, you know, what you're doing at discipleship.org. And uh, we're grateful for you guys and everything you're doing yeah. and a lot of things. Thank you. Uh, Church Project is in the Woodlands, Texas. We're on the north side of Houston. And we started 14 years ago. I, I grew up in a smaller town in East Texas, Tyler, Texas, and, um, you know, went to college, pre-med, thinking I might be a medical missionary or work in my grandparents' medical businesses. And then God called me to work in the local church. I knew that. I really grabbed my heart for it. I remember a prayer I prayed in college in a parking lot in my truck. I just said, God, if, if this is what you're calling me to do, and this is a, you know, as a 21-year-old perspective, but I, I said, if this is what you're calling me to do, please let me be a part of what you originally intended the church to be. And I I uh, had no idea that that prayer actually would stick with me for, you know, the next 25 or more years. And that has been my pursuit of what Jesus originally intended the church to be. That's really one of our uh, mantras here. What did Christ originally intend for his church to be? And that began a big study for me on what I, I understand now as ecclesiology, but I never mm -hmm. really talked about ecclesiology, you know, even all the way through seminary. And so... 14 years ago, I, I metaphorically jumped out of the airplane. I've literally done that once, but metaphorically did that once too and started Church Project. And, you know, it's Which been one a was riskier. Cool What's that? Which one was riskier? <laughs> oh, by far, Church Project. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah no, jumping out of an airplane is a lot easier than, than, yeah, uh, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, probably less painful, even if it didn't work. Yeah. So, yeah, so really, we would say church product is an applied ecclesiology, and um, part of my uh, part of my perspective on all of this is that we've we spent a whole lot of time creating content, rightly so, when it comes to discipleship. But I think the context in which most discipleship happened that we see biblically, historically, and globally, we're not talking about that enough. And so, really, we're an applied ecclesiology, especially when it comes to the type of context that we see was perpetuated all throughout the biblical church that we read. 
So when you talk about ecclesiology, just in case people don't you know, understand that terms, that's kind of like the study of the church, the gathered people of God and the forms that kind of surround that. And there's kind of been a, um, a whole culture in American Christianity that's grown up, that's very professionalized and very, you know, located to a, a third space. It's not your home. It's not your work. It's third space. You know, nobody lives there. It's not in your neighborhood. Um, so, you know, there's ways we conceptualize church. So how is what you're doing, you know, um, different than that? What's tradition oh. in our minds? Yeah. I mean, it, if you ask somebody, what, what is the church? There's going to be a lot of, a lot of different answers. I, I think that's a problem. I, 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 um, coined a phrase for myself and to help me when I speak about it, but I call it a ecclesiological relativity. And, um, it's that. In all of our other doctrine, we're not, we don't have any relativity built into the doctrine. We're like, oh, we're, you know, we're, we, we believe in the, in the sinfulness of man. You know, we believe in the virgin birth. We believe in the incarnation of God himself in the flesh. Um, we, we have our doctrines defined, but we're carrying all this doctrine to the church in what I think is a very underdeveloped um, ecclesiological vessel because ecclesiology is a doctrine too. It's the doctrine of the church. What do we believe about the church? Hmm. So um, we, have, we have an articulated ecclesiology. Like we have a definition of our doctrine, just like we would be able to define sin, salvation, eternal life. Um, we, we would be able to find all aspects of sanctification, justification, and glorification. We actually have articulated an ecclesiology. What I find and what I practiced myself for many years, and what I find now is that most people are not, they're not practicing a, a doctrine of their ecclesiology, they're practicing traditions in their ecclesiology. Yeah. And most of those traditions are not uh, doctrinally formed. They're mm -hmm. traditionally formed, and people can't express why they do what they do with their Bible open. And so what we spend our time doing is articulating with people with an open Bible why we do what we do and however far you want to get into that on this podcast is up to you. But we, I have three, three D's that help for us define at least a foundation for uh, our doctrine, our ecclesiology. So when you talk about that, you know, it makes me think a little bit about, we can study, like on a parallel path, we could study Jesus and the red letters and what he said, here's what he taught. But you can also study the black letters. It's like he went here and he went there and then he set them down and then he said this and then he stood up. It's like you can hear what he's saying. You can learn from his teaching, but you can also learn from his action. You can learn from the way he went about doing things, right? So there, there's a, a teaching doctrine, but then there's the example of what he's doing and why he's taking them where he's taking. Why is he delegating in Luke 9 and 10? He's sending them. He's bringing back. He's debriefing. Like it doesn't say like, and then Jesus said, I'm going to debrief you. And there's a teaching of Jesus that says Jesus no, he just did it. And we're, we see the black letters and the red letters. And what I hear you saying is, you know, we spend a lot of time like as if, if Paul had red letters of his instruction, but if you really paid attention to Acts and kind of integrated that in with Paul and the letters, you know, you would find an, ecclesi you find an ecclesiology is like, how are they going about doing these things? You know, what did it look like? And there will certainly be some gaps, you know, some things that we have to kind of sure. put together and, and making that work in a coherent fashion. But I, I agree in most instances that there's not a lot of time spent on that. I, I kind of grew up in a heritage that obsessed over what you're talking about, but, you know, to a very legalistic degree, often that there's just this way of doing church. We're going to talk about it all the time and you're going to be able to go right yeah. to your Bible and find it, you know, but 
Uh, it sounds like you have a pretty healthy approach and that one I very much appreciate. That's your intention and you're, you're spent 14 years doing it. You've grown tremendously, it sounds like. Well, you know, Jesus said, I will build my church. And if he's wanting us to participate in that, for me, it makes sense that he would give us some design for it. Yeah. Beauty of the beauty of it. I think the gift of the way that Jesus designed his church is it does give us so much freedom to express these things uh, differently based on our personality or based on our context. But there are some things that we should hold on to that I think were consistent all throughout the New Testament. I can't not see this once I've seen it. And so like we could go to Titus, for example, and we could find Paul told Titus, the reason why I left you in Crete. I mean, for us as pastors or church leaders, I think we have a great responsibility in that moment to say, well, what am I about to read here? The reason why the apostle Paul put a, put a pastor in a place, Paul planted a church, he's leaving. And he's about to tell Titus, this is what I want you to do. This is the function of a pastor, right? And so mm -hmm. this informs what we teach our pastors on our staff, like our overseers. This is what we see our role is. And this is what Paul was telling Titus. And he said, the reason why I left you in Crete was to straighten out what was unfinished, appoint elders in every town as I directed you and teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. So, you know what? We see, we see a purpose of a pastor in those, which is a separate talk for a separate time, yep. but we also see an ecclesiology here. And so Paul told Titus, appoint elders in every town. There's two of the D's right here. And so one of those is, hey, Titus, I'm not expecting you to be the guy. I'm not expecting you to be the pastor for Crete that everybody knows. Yeah, I, you know, I, a lot of our criticism of the prevailing model church right now is, hey, it's built on one guy, one great personality, one the one skill set. It's built off the platform, except people are going to micro churches or house churches, and that's built off one person too. If the house church pastor fails, well, the house church fails. And so it's just the same thing, just scaled down a whole lot. And so what Paul did not want Titus doing is assuming responsibility for pastoring Crete. He didn't want him to do that. And so he said, I want you to appoint elders. And every time I want you to, so the first thing for us is distribute pastoral leadership. I don't want you being the guy doing all of this. I want you to give a pastor for all the people and the places where they live. So distribute pastoral leadership. So church project. Yeah, we've grown a lot. I mean, I wrote, I wrote in, in one of my books, I wrote about this. I wrote, or maybe in the forward, I said in both of them, I didn't know if we would be 40 people. That's what we started with or 400 or 4,000, which is around where we are now at this one location every week. But uh, what I did know is we would hold these three values and we, it, we've done the same thing at 40 people or 400 or 4,000 people. So we've distributed pastoral leadership. So at first we had, we started with two house churches and two, you know, two house church pastors, but these house church pastors were responsible. We distributed leadership to them. They were doing weddings and funerals and baptisms. All benevolence happens in a house church. You know, if ho ho hospital visit, I don't do that. I many thousands of people over 14 years, I've done, I think like four funerals. I mean, I, you know, I just don't do, I don't do weddings. I, I'm not going visiting people in the hospital, but those things are being done. Funerals, weddings, I don't baptize people. I mean, their house church pastors do that. And so we have people being baptized on Sundays or in pools. So we've distributed pastoral leadership. So firemen and, you know, attorneys and doctors and, you know, teachers, they're pastors of people. So appoint elders in every town, distribute pastoral leadership and decentralize, right? So this isn't about, 
you, Titus, being the main person, you distribute leadership. It's also not about them coming to you because he, Paul could have said, hey, look, just build a building big enough to house all the people all around Crete and have them come to you. And so if they need a pastor, they can come get to you. No, we want to decentralize this thing. We want ministry happening where the people live. We want a pastor available where all the people live. So distribute pastoral leadership and decentralize this away from you. Uh, and we, this isn't based on, on you, so distribute it. And it's not based on a specific location. Decentralize this. And then we, I, I see another massive part of discipleship um, happening in the early church ecclesiology that is not happening in most churches these days, and it hasn't. So those two things aren't happening. We don't distribute pastoral leadership. We've clergified the church. It's just people like me. Those are the real pastors. And some ministry has been given to people, but really there's a big gap. Hey, you just be a small group leader or a teacher. And when you got a real pastoral need, hey, bring it up here to us. We'll, the, the professionals will take care of it. There's a big gap there. How do, how do you get to those people? You know, how do they get to you? You got to hire enough pastors. You got to, you know, set up appointments and all that. So what we're doing is we're taking a teacher or a small group leader and we're making them a pastor and we're taking a small group or a Sunday school class and we're making it a church. And so we're taking a leader or teacher, making them a pastor, taking a group or a class and we're making it a church. So distribute pastoral leadership, decentralize it away from you. That's how we can have thousands of people here. We have no phone number. We have no foyer, no receptionist to walk into. You go to our website, my name, my picture's not on there. You just can't get to us. You can get to a house church through our website. You come on a Sunday gathering, which is super simple. You can, we'll get you immediately into a house church, but there's no, nothing else for you. But the third thing is in every town. So um, appoint elders in every town. And the third D is diverse discipleship communities. And we see this all throughout the New Testament. As you referenced before, all these things aren't overt, but we see them like, have the older people teach the younger people, Paul told Titus. Where's that happening? In Corinth, the rich and the poor people, you have to learn how to live together and share your good wine and your good meals and your good food. And you have to give to each other. And so rich and poor people living together, you know, the Galatians, we have neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And so um, in Thessalonians, I mean, we had these really prominent Greek women that are becoming believers. And then you have poverty happening and a famine happening around the place, but they're all in church together. Jews, Greeks, rich, poor, older, younger, married, and married, mature believer, like Paul told the Ephesians, until we all reach maturity in the faith. So I have mature believers with immature believers, but most churches, and we have for a long time now, we separate people into certain stages of life. So older people aren't with younger people, rich people mm -hmm. aren't. Yeah. We put a group of people around us in a homogenous group that are just like us, and so when we have found here, when we gather geographically, like Paul told Titus in every town you gather, when we gather geographically, it forces diversity. Our only identifier is, hey, where do you live? Go to the house church closest to you. So you're going to walk into a house church, old, young, rich, poor, black, brown, Asian, white, married, unmarried, mature, immature believer, and it's really beautiful. That's awesome. So does that cross over into your corporate gathering, that same non-siloed approach? Is everybody together or do you have some separation? by age and stuff like that when you have main big gathering. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just a lot, it's logical that when we get together on a, on a, in a corporate gathering, like, you know, I, house church is very distinct from a Sunday gathering. I mean, when, when the apostles would get together and teach thousands of people, these gifted apostles are teaching the people, but then 
where's all this beautiful community happen? Where are needs being met? Does somebody stand up in a room of 3,000 plus people and go, hey, I have a need and other people are like, I can meet that? No, that's happening in house churches mm-hmm. all across Jerusalem. And so um, needs are being met. All these great functions are being met. Real discipleship is being done in house churches. But everything Jesus did is discipleship. And so teaching on a mountainside is discipleship. Sure. And so some people in their pursuit of getting away from the prevailing model, they think big is bad, but the first church was big immediately. And Jesus taught thousands of people and that couldn't have been a waste of time or he wouldn't have done it. And so we've forsaken the large gathering. So we think there's a very beautiful value in gathering together corporately. They did it all throughout the Old Testament. We're gonna be doing it in heaven. They did it in the New Testament. Whatever they could around the world, historically, they've done it. I mean, people are risking their lives. Sure. To, and so there's a beautiful purpose of getting together on it, you know, for worship and teaching and, and things like that that can't happen at the same level in house church. But yeah, when we get together, it's just logical. Yeah, we're going to, I mean, my 12-year-old doesn't want to sit and listen to me preach every Sunday, but I want him to have great friends who love Jesus mm-hmm. and he's been mm-hmm. discipled. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, my daughter's all through high school, her best friends are from church and she's going on. So yeah, we have it just on Sundays and, sure. uh, and for high school students and junior high students throughout the week, but everything else is, there's no divisions at all. That, that, I, I love that because what happens with the traditional legacy model is Sunday has to achieve everything, but Sunday can't achieve everything. And, and so they say, okay, we have small groups and that'll catch, you know, a third of the people, whatever. Uh, but because you have house churches being the church and then the large gathering is, okay, this is all the church, but we also meet like this to get a message, to get encouraged, to get worship, to get age appropriate peer interactions. Like you, you, you're accomplishing like a holistic thing yeah. with those two parts, rather than saying, we only have really one part. We're just trying to get everybody, everything they need. And then you end up with a bunch of these siloed teens who, when they hit 18, don't want anything to do with big church because they don't know anybody. And you're asking them to make, come across the river, you know, over here, because you, you've yeah. established that in your house church community. They already have those adult relationships and connections in the church. That's all that. it's, it's, and, it's and we're actually teaching our students the word and they're, you know, they're getting discipled. And so they just want, they want more of that later. I mean, you know, most student ministries, it's not just that students are with students. It's just that a lot of student ministries aren't really discipling students, but that's another podcast. Yeah, yeah no, no, I, I think, you know, and it's hard to speak fairly of every, you can't speak of everyone in one statement, but, you know, there, there's a lot of trends, you know, truth in what you're saying with that. Can you kind of describe a little bit about um, how you have the big gathering and then you have the house churches and just kind of how all that, how all that works together? The beauty of having a, a weekly corporate gathering, like a Sunday gathering. I mean, I, I do see it throughout scripture. We see it through church history. We see it globally. I, again, I think people are resistant to it because they think that if you have a weekly gathering, then everything is the same. I, we wanted to prove the concept here. So, <clears throat> excuse me, we're a, a little proof of concept. That's not true. You've had to be incredibly intentional. Like you said, from four to 40 to 400 to 4,000 to scale that concept. And you've done it faithfully, it sounds like, with a great intentionality. You know, if Jesus valued teaching people by the thousands, we need to value that too. If he valued starting a church and adding 3,000 people in one place, in one day, and they continued meeting in that large place, you know, and then they got kicked out of the temple courts and they moved next door to Solomon's colonnade, which you see mentioned, I think, three times in Acts, at least two. 
And it was a huge lecture hall that could hold thousands of people right next to the temple. And then they would rent other spaces. You'll, you, when you start to really look for this in all the letters and throughout Acts, you really do start to see this, what I call eDNA, this ecclesiological DNA. And you, you do see the corporate Sunday gatherings. For me, here, here's a great value of having a weekly, a weekly corporate gathering when you have really distributed pastoral leadership because Titus chapter two, verse one, Paul went on and he said, teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. And so Sunday gatherings help protect sound doctrine in house churches. I mean, we have, I think, a pretty robust developmental process of a house church pastor. And we're making sure that we know their doctrine and that they're prepared and they can help teach people and correct people. But one of the ways that we protect sound doctrine in a distributed house church model is that people are hearing a doctrinally sound sermon on a Sunday. And so if someone comes on a Sunday morning and they hear me or someone else preach the word to them, anyone who preaches to them, we trust their doctrine implicitly. And therefore, when people get in a house church, if they hear something different, I mean, we're in a house church working through the same passage of scripture together. Like we're working through the gospel of John together for a, over a year as a church. So if they hear this coming Sunday, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 28, they're going to hear a sermon on that Sunday, and they're going to get into their house church on Sunday night or on Wednesday night, and they're going to dig into the passage. If, that, if a house church pastor is getting off doctrinally, the people in the house church would say, well, we've heard something different today. And that's actually happened once only in the life of our church, but I love that it, it showed us Hey, when something got off on the house church, we're like, I'm a little concerned that our house church back. And in fact, he was, and he admitted, I, I, I have some doctrinal error here or undeveloped in this area. And it was helpful for us. So, um, come on a Sunday gathering, beautiful corporate worship, super simple. We say Jesus ministry was really simple. So we're simple too, but there's no silver bullet. People come here and they're completely unimpressed. It's, it's, it's well done. I mean, it's, it's done in a worshipful, honorable way. But it's just super, I mean, we're, we have 2,000 plastic chairs on a concrete floor and, uh, wow. you know, no, 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 nothing attractive or attractional about the room at all. I mean, we have, I have a liturgy, the five, five things that I saw that they did when they gathered together. And for me, that's singing. Of course, that's, we're told to do that and we want to do that. Singing silence. We see this as part of the practice of believers for a long time from the Psalms and, and well beyond that. Singing silence, scripture reading. The, we do a, a separate scripture reading. Other than the t- passage that we're preaching from, we just do a reading of scripture publicly. We do a story. It's the testimony of the saints. Every week, with very few exceptions, we have a story, which is somebody's testimony. And we share that in a variety of ways. And then a sermon, like Paul told Timothy, preach the word. And so singing, silence, scripture reading, story, and sermon, we do that every Sunday. We don't do any of that in a house church. I mean, a house church is very different from that. And so you come on a Sunday, we'll, we're going to do everything we can to get you into a house church. You get on our website, you get on our app, we're going to get you into a house church. I mean, the only thing we're trying to do is really get you into a house church. That's your next step. So do you have training for house church pastors or how oh, do yeah. you vet them? Well, I mean, that, that would be an entire, an, an entire episode dedicated to that. But I would say this. 
a house church begats a house church and a house church pastor begats a house church pastor. Like Paul told Timothy, you know all about my life. So it's slow. We've tried to speed it up at different times, but that hasn't worked. We have gone too long. And then a house church gets too big and it becomes unhealthy. It atrophies mm-hmm. when, it, when it doesn't multiply. But we, 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 we know that a house church pastor has to come from within an existing house church. And the house church that we plant, we just can't parachute people in. They got to get our DNA and they got to get our culture. But we got to mainly see that they develop. I mean, part of the principle is Paul told Timothy, hey, don't let a new believer become a leader too early. And so uh, you got to prove them. So we have to prove people. So we watched them at a house church for a long time. A house church pastor is always saying, we, we meet with house church pastors often. Every house church pastor has a pastor. I say every pastor needs a pastor. And so we pastor our house church pastors. Every house church pastor has a pastor who meets with them, who disciples them, encourages them, checks on them. And they're, they're meeting with them monthly. Three things they're talking about. Let's talk about your life, your relationship with Jesus, your marriage, your family, your health your finances, your, how's Jesus affecting every area of your life? We're going to talk about you and disciple you. Secondly, what's the health of your house church? Like, let's talk about the health of your house church. Is, are, are people living life together beyond the weekly house church gathering? Are, are people discussing the word together? Are people growing in their faith? Or are new people coming and are they being welcomed? Is your house church growing? Why is it not? Do your people not have a heart for the lost? Are people coming and not coming back because they didn't feel cared for? Uh, is your house church growing so much, but you haven't developed another leader? And so the, what's the health of your house? What's the health of you? What's the health of your house church? And finally, who's, who are we looking to develop? Who's the next person who's going to be a pastor? So every house church pastor is being talked to at least once a month on who's the person you're developing here. So we watch for people all the time. Like who's here regularly? Who's hungry for the word? Who contributes and people listen? When somebody has a need, they say, I can help step in and take care of that. Uh, p- they care for people. So the house church pastor is always watching and we're proving it just by watching their life. But when we feel like they may be the next person, we have an incubator that we put them in. We have a very intentional process that we get them to, even down to acute doctrine that we walk them through. And that that all happens well beyond me, but every house church pastor and their spouse will then sit down at, at my table at my house with me as sort of a final, like, let's talk about what you're about to do. So yeah, we have a long process. So, um, you birth new leaders from within existing house churches and you put them through the incubator and all that. And then they, wherever their home location is, is the new locus, the new spot for, you know, that next house church. It's in their home. Well, or someone's home, ideally someone else's home because we like a distribution of gifts. We like to share a load. I mean, yeah, probably a third of our house church pastors are also hosts, but that's only if that's only if they also have the gift of hospitality. Like um, uh, one one guy may be an incredible house church pastor, and his spouse has an incredible gift of hospitality. But uh, if they don't have that gift of hospitality in the in their home, then we don't want them hosting. I, my definition of hospitality is: you want people in your home, and people want to be in your home. You know, and so. Uh, people that are energized by this, that love having people in their home, that's who we want hosting a house church. And so oftentimes, most often, when it's when it's time to birth a new house church, this house church has gotten too big, we, it's going to atrophy because people's needs aren't cared for, or we can't have conversations, or we can't, you know, have, you know, really great prayer times together. There's just too many people here. And so 
Um, when it's ready to birth another house church, we usually, hopefully, ideally have a host home who's ready to have people in their home, a house church pastor and their, his wife who's ready to go, and then we'll sit a couple of couples with them. And so we never start a healthy house church and leave one unhealthy. So we make sure that both are going to be healthy when they multiply. Man, I love it. So you said that the house church, I say like order of worship, but like the agenda is it not the same thing as what happens in the, the corporate gathering, but you do discuss the same scripture from the lesson. What, what other things do they do? Well, let's just moment? say, let's just say um, that you have a couple of hours together. One, we, our, our recommendation is something like this. I mean, this is generally the guideline that we want our people to follow, not hard and fast, but close. Have a meal together for half an hour. You know, show, people show up at 630. Usually people are bringing potluck stuff or they somehow searches will pay somebody to cook. They'll bring their own food. They'll do potluck. Tonight's, you know, Mexican food night or whatever. So people share the load. They do it. They figure it out. Somebody in their house search does that. They have a meal together for about half an hour, catch up and visit. And then if you've already eaten, just come and visit with people. And seven o'clock, seven to eight, we're going to get in the word together. We're going to walk through this passage of scripture. I say a proper sermon should create tension between heaven and earth. Here's what heaven is saying to us. And house church is a place where earth, we can really wrestle that out together. People can say, I'm not living that out. Or I don't know if I believe that. Or I don't understand that. And so house church is the place where, I mean, a sermon should be, this is what heaven is saying to us. And house church is where we're wrestling that out on earth together. And so we're going to spend an hour or so wrestling through this passage of scripture and making sure that we're applying it to our lives and we understand it and we believe it. And, um, and then we want to spend about half an hour in prayer together. Like, let's pray. I hope that we have 70 prayer meetings happening all over our city every week, just from this, our one church product location here up the road, 12 minutes, uh, in Conroe, they're doing that with however many houses they have in, in Tomball, 15 minutes west of us. They're doing that. And in other cities, wherever there's a church project, you know, they're, they're having prayer meetings every Sunday night or Wednesday night when their house churches are gathering. So, you know, about half an hour, let's, we're, we're realistic. I mean, a couple of hours on a week, on a weeknight, it's a lot. So we're just asking you to commit to that one weeknight. And, um, we're going to try to be here two hours and then we're going to go. We don't want to exhaust the host home. We got, you got kids, you got to go to bed. And so, um, so yeah, half an, half an hour for a meal, an hour, let's wrestle through the word together. And then 30 minutes, let's pray. So the real reason we brought you on here was to answer the age old question of, you know, what do you do with kids and, uh, how's man getting, we're not going to, you know, I, I mean, I, I literally, I just knew when I said that you're, you're going to ask that, and that's great because everybody does, but I like to, I like to answer that with this question. If they're not in the house church, then what? If not, then yeah. what? I mean, they're existing while yeah, house yeah. church is going on. So where are they going to exist? And then what are they going to do? And so, I mean, let's just say for, for us here, the way that I answer this question, because it's, it's an educated, informed question. It's a, it's a reality. What do we do with kids? If we just have childcare at a central location at a building, well, then uh, I get home from work at six, hopefully, and uh, I pick up my kids, drive them across town to drop them off at this church building. I'm going to drive back to close to my house where my house church is. Then I'm going to drive back and get my kids and then take them back home. So they've had to have, you know, two round trips in the car and that's just not sustainable. No, And, no. Uh, you know, or you could get a babysitter for them every week though. It's going to get expensive. What? But here was my dream when we started church project. I would hear missionary kids, people who grew up as missionary kids, they would say, I remember when I would walk through the living room. And my parents would have their Bibles open and they would pray with people and we'd have people from church over at our house. And I was like, 
I want that. Yeah. But we have eliminated that from the church. So we think that if, if a house church pastor isn't smart enough to figure this out on his own, then he's probably not smart enough to be a house church pastor. But every house church figures it out on their own. Probably 80% of house church, house churches, they, um, have a rotation of, of, of parents, uh, that will watch each other's kids. We sort of centrally will provide them the same in the same way. Whatever our kids on Sunday morning were studying you through in the, in the Bible, they have a memory verse every week that they're working on, whatever they study. Our kids team will provide all of our house churches um, for, for whoever's leading without preparation. Like, hey, this is what they did on Sunday. And it just sort of walks through. This is what you can do with the kids during house. I mean, they're all eating together. And even during prayer time, often they come in. Sometimes they do. So it's not like you have two hours to take care of them. So, I mean, they're going to play. I want my kids to have friends from church. And so they're going to play. They're going to do But we do have some things for them to do. A little craft, a little song. But let's memorize this verse together again that we're working on this week, kids. And here's what we talked about Sunday. We're going to press into that together. And so most people have a rotation. One of the beautiful things about rotating couples through, let's say if you have, you know, 10, 10 couples in a house church, you only have to do that once every two and a half months or three months or so. But also you really get to know somebody else's kids when you spend an hour with them. And we've seen some beautiful things come from that. Like an older couple may watch somebody's kids and this kid doesn't listen. They don't obey at all. They're not listening. And, and uh, they have to bring the parent in. They see how the parent disciplines. And we've, we've seen older couples just begin a friendship with those parents and hopefully disciple them. Hey, how you, how you discipline your children and how you get your children to obey or you know to engage with other kids in a way that's good for everybody. So. Yeah. There's some beautiful benefit of that sounds biblical. crossing our lives more in together, you know? Yeah, that sounds like the pastorals, olders and youngers and all that, you know, helping each other out. And yeah, we've landed in a very similar spot where we want our children integrated as much as possible. At the same time, like during lessons, we typically do something more age appropriate with them or let them play, like let them go out in the backyard in the play set and run around and play for a minute God and just forbid. enjoy you know, it's God okay. forbid they're going to have fun. Yeah. You know, we, uh, someone didn't show up to do part of the worship service. And so, okay, well, let's just open it up. And our kids start talking and they start sharing. It's like, well, like little kids saying like prof- profound stuff, like, man, they would not have gotten yeah. that. They just would have not have gotten that, you know? Yeah, know. that's cool. Well, I think one of the beautiful, one of the beautiful things about doing a Sunday gathering is it really takes the pressure off from trying to do everything in a house church gathering like worship Hmm. and all these other things that testimonies and all these things that, you know, people are really diluting a house church gathering by trying to do everything there. And so, I mean, the early church, they're meeting together daily. Right. And so I think a lot of that was just life on life, but we call people come Sunday and have some distinct, unique things that we will do together that are profitable. And really, we say Sunday supports house church. The sermon supports house church. The worship mm-hmm. supports mm-hmm. house church. So really, you're not having to do worship, which, by the way, honestly, most worship that happens in house church is really miserable. You know, I mean, it's just not, it's just not great. And so, I mean, if I was a worship leader in my house church, it would be miserable. And so um, it's just not a great moment to engage with the Lord in worship because People aren't gifted and called to that. I mean, we see beautiful giftings of worship all throughout the Old Testament even. And so uh, we have beautifully gifted people who lead us in worship. So I'm not needing that in a house church because I'm 
as much because I had that on, on Sunday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. now house church, I can really, we can really purify these beautiful elements of let's just spend a lot of time in the word together. Let's spend a lot of time in prayer together. Cause I can't do that on a Sunday morning. We can't discuss the word on a Sunday morning, right. but it was yep. never meant for that. We can't be in prayer together for half an hour on a Sunday morning. It wasn't meant for that, but you can in a house church if you have a separate and distinct Sunday morning. That's really good. And I think one of the things that I hear you saying is when you talked about hospitality, you talked about you have the gift or you don't. And if you have the gift, then go for it if you don't. And I, and I think that applies to um, just a little, my opinion for two seconds here is, you know, some house churches do have amazingly gifted worship leaders where the worship is vibrant, but what ends up happening, we've done that and God gifted us with some amazing people. And, but what ends up happening is when you try to make house church a scaled down version of a big church, everyone gets worn out. Everyone gets tired. And so we had to make some major adjustments to not just burn out everybody, you know, where we could have some of that, but not all the time, you know? And, and so it's, you know, but I think, I think you're right in that having those two environments is super helpful, but you try to scale down big church into like 20, 30 people and they're all trying to do what they did at big church and you just well, kind of burn. Well, if, if you try to do what you did, you know, in the traditional model church on a Sunday and you do what a house church should be doing, oh, yeah, yeah. It, nothing's winning. Yeah, that's right. Nothing's really getting done. And so I do understand, Matt, I understand why people are saying, I got to resist anything that resembled what I was previously a part of. And so they conflate what I was a part of and the emptiness of much of that with anything that closely resembles that at all. And so, but I do believe that you can have some of those beautiful things without, you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be a super slippery slope. If you have some values and you hold the line and we have for 14 years from 40 to 4,000 people and many church plans, you know, we have held the line on these things and it's been a beautiful thing. That's awesome. That's really inspiring because what you just said, you know, people, um, you, you reject a concept of something, but it doesn't mean there's not a better way to do it. There's doesn't mean that, you know, there's not another way. And I, so I appreciate what y'all are doing with that. So can you give us a little bit of information or give the people watching, listening a little bit of information on like, if they wanted to plug in with what you're doing or partner with you guys or get launched or something like that, like what would they, do you help churches start yeah. something similar? It sounds like. Yeah, a lot. So we have, we have a thing called so one, you can always go to churchproject.org. It's not the church project. It's just churchproject.org. You can also go to jasonshepherd.com. I have some short writings on this, links to a, a book, which has helped a lot of people. It's a short read. And also our network stuff that we do, Jason Shepherd, it's S-H-E-P-P-E-R-D, jasonshepherd.com, churchproject.org. On those, please, you'll, you'll see Church Project Network and House Church Network. Church Project Network is where we plant church projects. We are all going to align doctrinally on a major and most minor things. We're going to share nomenclature together. We share a lot of resources together. That's a real close family of churches. But then we have House Church Network, and that is where we align on the major doctrinal things, and we all agree on this ecclesiology. And so that House Church Network is a growing family of churches who are a church of house churches. Like I am one church of many house churches. And so uh, we have housechurchnetwork.com, churchprojectnetwork.com. And then um, you can find all of that at the other two websites I listed earlier. And yeah, like even coming up here, I believe it's in March, 
we have our next, we do a two-day uh, gathering together for people to come and, and work through this. We just call it a workshop and we spend two days together, meet other people from around the nation and other countries. We do it three times a year. Wow. And uh, we'll have, you know, we cap it, I think at a hundred and we'll have people come to my house for the night um, for a great time together. But we're to build, we, we, we own a building. And the cool thing is we occupy, I think it's 6% of the space for our offices and they're invisible. Nobody knows we're here. And we share our building with ministries in our city. We have a group of Hispanic pastors from all over the nation who are meeting in a room in our building right now. We have another thing happening tonight. We do like four or 500 events in our building all year long. We share it with ministries in our city and we steward it like it pays for itself. And so I like to tell our church, we borrow our building on Sundays and we share it with ministries in our city all throughout the week. And we steward it to help it pay for itself. That's awesome. And so it's really been a great thing. We ha I have a theology of space that I talk about. It's actually on jasonshiver.com too, just a, at least a, a short paper on it that I, we write about. But yeah, yeah so has, it's been has a lot gotten, of fun. Has God gifted you in the like administration and vision and all that? Or do, or do you have uh, gifted people that you've collaborated with? So, I mean, I know there's always a team, but like, what's your, what's your strong suit in all that? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, uh, at least the, at least the, you know, at least the, the vision part, and uh, at least the beginning of the administrative part. I mean, when you get down to like, I, I think I would explain it like when we're when we're looking at a budget. I am a macro budget guy for sure, but I am not an, a micro accounting person, so that that scares me. But a macro. So on the macro level of administration, I'm very involved, and uh, on the vision, I'm, I'm I'm very very involved. Yeah. Uh, but not on the micro level in any of these areas, uh, especially anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. Well, thank you for your time on this. It's been a pleasure talking with you, Jason. I love what you're doing. And, you know, it's kind of like if, if, if somebody were to list out a bunch of check boxes of like, you know, here's the issues that I've had with traditional thing. You're like, okay, well, well, we'll do address this. And, and by the way, we'll have the Bible out while we do it. So I really appreciate your heart and what you're doing, what you've done with that. It's just really wonderful. Hey, thanks for the encouragement, Matt. Thanks for what you're doing. And I really enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate the invitation. All right. Thank you, Jason. Everything Jesus did was discipleship. I love that. If you want to learn more about Jason Shepard's church planning model, please visit churchproject.org. There's a link in the show notes. If you'd rather just hop down there and click that and go check that out, that would be fantastic. Up next, we've got Steve McCoy with Small Circle, and he's talking to us about one-on-one -on -one disciple making. Always love hearing Steve speak, so I'm really looking forward to the next episode. If you haven't clicked the subscribe button yet, please go ahead and do so now so that you know when I release the next episode, because you never know when I'm going to make another mistake and drop one early. All right, y'all. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you.